Just Baseball Show Awards. MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year. All of them are coming out this week. You're listening to us after the Rookie of the Year in the American League and the National League was announced last night. Spoiler alert, we're recording between the announcements of Julio Rodriguez and the National League Rookie of the Year. So we'll get to NL Rookie of the Year at some point in the show. I kind of call BS that it has to be a two-hour presentation of these awards each night. Like, why? You know what I mean? So, dude, we were we were going to record. We were going to record at around 6.30. Because it started we, at 6. We forgot that, of course, they have to do all the interviews. But, uh, you know, I was watching MLB Network for a second. And, uh, you know, they interviewed Stephen Kwan, which I thought was cool. They do a lot of cool things. But... They get as many commercials in as possible. Yes. Like the ad revenue from the two-hour announcement to announce two guys that we kind of already know we're going to win. Whatever. Whatever. So, by the way, that's Peter. I'm Jack. Just Baseball Show Tuesday, November 15th. Welcome um, to it. Welcome to it. I understand, like, squeezing the ad revenue out. But then I think about the most watched reveal show in sports. And that is the NCAA Tournament selection show what do they do they don't delay it right i love it i love it hey let's start gonna be a great tournament let's get right into the field and then they spend the last 45 minutes of the hour show talking about the field they get the field out of the way right away that's what i wish we did and we just like applauded the work of a stephen kwan and of an adley rutschman but he prays on julio rodriguez now i also get it like the Heisman Trophy presentation, it's a two-hour event. you got to highlight the excellence in college football. And then at the end, you know, you're building up to that award. So I, I do understand it from the award type, you know, perspective. But my thing is, the best things are when you just put it out there, the information that everybody needs, and then recap after that. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through our picks, AL Rookie of the Year, NL Rookie of the Year, we agree with Julio Rodriguez. Shocker. Shocker. AL Cy Young, NL Cy Young, AL Manager of the Year, NL Manager of the Year, AL MVP, NL MVP. Fair? Fair. Can I, um, I, I want to pull up, uh, my phone was charging, so forgive me, listeners, um, of where the odds ended up for these guys. Because, you know, Julio Rodriguez and all these guys going into the year, like, for example, I had Spencer Torkelson, and he was a much, like, lower favorite than Julio Rodriguez was. Great job, me going with Spencer Torkelson. I mean, what is say Suzuki, that was. right? You went with Suzuki. Yeah, I did go with say Suzuki. I mean, he was good ish. Do you remember your preseason picks? I went with Bobby Witt Jr. Okay, and he was top five. Somebody, somebody down the ladder. Um, in the NL, I'm I'm blanking on who I picked in the NL. So the Rookie of the Year award winners. So at the beginning of the season. Adley Rutschman was plus 550. 
Um, Julio Rodriguez was plus 900. So for those who aren't in the betting sphere, let's say you put down $10 on Adley Rutschman, and you would win 550. You put $10 on Julio Rodriguez at the beginning of the year, you would win 900. Stephen Kwan was plus 5,000. I remember we had a sprinkle there. Um, wait, 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 now- hold on. If, if Adley was plus 550, wouldn't it be you put 10 bucks down and you win 55? Yeah. What did I say? Five, uh, 550. Yeah, no, uh, yes. Plus, you would win $55. Julio Rodriguez, plus 900, 10 to win 90. Stephen yeah. Kwan is, was plus 5,000 at the beginning of the year, 10 to win 500. Now, Julio Rodriguez is minus 10,000, and he ended up winning. And he won it. You could have laid down $10,000 to win 100 bucks. Um, Adley Rutschman was plus 1,100, and Stephen Kwan was plus 2,500. Uh, or 25,000, excuse me. So now in the National League, before it's been announced, Michael Harris was plus 3,000 at the beginning of the season. He is now minus 275. Spencer Strider, plus 4,000 at the beginning of the year, is now plus 225. And Brendan Donovan was plus 2,000 at the beginning of the year. Now he's plus 50,000. So really the NL rookie of the year will be between Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, which we will hear in a couple of minutes, but Michael Harris is the prohibitive favorite at this point to take home the National League rookie of the year, and I think a lot of people are expecting him to, while Spencer Strider certainly deserves it. Michael Harris, especially being a position player, I understand giving it to him. Yes, I understand both sides, and we'll wait on the National League. Before we get to the National League, let's talk J-Rod, because J-Rod was so ridiculously deserving of this award. You look at the F-War leaders, Julio Rodriguez was 21st in all of baseball. That's right behind Alex Bregman, Austin Riley, and Brandon Nimmo. That is right ahead of Rafi Devers, Kyle Tucker, and Willie Adamas. J-Rod, we knew what kind of prospect he was. I think he was the number two prospect. No, number three. Is that right? It went wit. It might have gone wit J-Rod Adley. In no, in arms? Numbers. I thought it went Adley, J-Rod, wit. No, wit was number one. Whatever. I think in They're the preseason all top 100. Yeah. <laughs> I think in the preseason top 100, J-Rod was two. So it, it regardless, he was top three. If Julio Rodriguez was the top three prospect in all of baseball, according to Aram and JustBaseball.com, you knew what he could do was electric. I don't think anybody really knew how electric he truly was. I had no idea. Aram, I remember him saying in like late April, early May, he said, this dude is way faster than anybody thought he was. He is a burner. He is a web better defensive center fielder than I think anybody thought he would be. You called the bat revolutionary, which is still one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Like a revolutionary bat for a prospect. You're kidding. That's like creative player work. Um, but but wasn't he kind of a creative player? We're looking at Julio Rodriguez as a 21-year-old being a top 20 baseball player already in his rookie year. It is somewhat revolutionary because you don't see that happen often. Like we've had great rookies, but in recent memory, there have been few rookie seasons, especially at this young of an age of such a well-rounded baseball player. And the reason why I called it revolutionary was I being a little bit aggressive and was I being hyperbolic? (laughs) Yeah, maybe, but at the same time, Aram sent me the stats early on and why I just 
became enthralled with this guy and I ranked him as my number one prospect for whatever that's worth as my prospect rankings have no merit. But the reason I said that is I was like, I buy bats when it comes to prospects and Aram sent me the stats of how similar he was to Wander Franco at that young of an age. And I told Aram, I'm like, what am I missing here? And he was like, well, Adley's a bit safer. He's a catcher, and his hit tool is also awesome. I'm like, okay, fine. Bobby Wood Jr. is this as well-rounded of a prospect as you can find, especially with how fast he is and how good he is with the glove. I'm like, all right, fine. Give me J-Rod's bat. But I didn't know that J-Rod will become one of the best defensive center fielders and a guy who steals 20-plus bases. That I didn't know. I thought the bat would be there. I didn't expect everything else, and that's why J-Rod is running away with the American League Rookie of the Year. And when I say running the way, that is certainly not being hyperbolic, Jack. He received 29 of, 30 of the 31st first place. place votes. Adley received one, and then he had 18 second place. Stephen Kwan had 10, and then Bobby Wood Jr. had a second place vote. Um, and then Jeremy Pena finished fifth, and he got two third place votes. Like Julio Rodriguez ran away with this. And it's only because, obviously, Adley didn't have the amount of games played to really compete at that level. But even if he did, like Julio was unbelievable. He was stupidly good, Julio Rodriguez. This is a guy that has had legal cervezas for 10 months, and he's pumping out a 146 WRC+. And you comp F4, they're identical at 5.3. Adley Rutschman played in 113 games. Julio played in 132. To that, I say Adley Rutschman plays a, a position that F4 values so highly in catcher. Exactly. If exactly. you're a good defensive catcher, you're going to accumulate F4 like it is your job. And it is exactly yeah. Adley Rutschman's job. But to that, I say J-Rod had a WRC plus 13 points higher, 146 compared to 133. His BABIP was so high, so much higher if you want to get so into the fast. advanced numbers. His isolated power, 225, about 35 points better than Adley Rutschman. And then you look at the natural slash line. Batting average, J-Rod hit 284, Adley hit 254. Adley had a slightly better OBP, 362 compared to 345. But the big difference here was slugging. Julio Rodriguez slugged 509. Adley was 445. What Julio Rodriguez did, and you mentioned that he, you mentioned like you will take the bat. The bat and the build are fucking stupid for Julio Rodriguez. He's 6'3, 230. Yeah. 6'3, 230. Stop talking about his fucking isolated power, you nerd. Let's talk about just the freakazoid of okay. Julio yeah. Rodriguez. Is. Let's just like marvel over how revolutionary his bat is. Let's be hyperbolic instead of reading it people the isolated power no one gives a shit about that they no care one. about they care about the fact that he looks like a male model okay so you were the guy that introduced just baseball's <laughs> contingency to the lowercase x and i screenshotted something because i want to keep receipts peter apple liked to tweet from john creel the you know what i like? saber metric that matters and it's dog in him Agreed. You know what i like i like the combination of everything so it's good you read the stats the people now know there you go you heard the numbers now let's talk about the freakazoids. Couple more. Um, right, Julio Rodriguez, 6'3", 230. He's built like a middle linebacker that's going to go top five in the NFL draft. He's built Crazy. like fucking Will Anderson. And, and here he is, J-Rod, in the 98th percentile in max exit velocity. So he's hitting the ball harder than pretty much everybody except O'Neal Cruz, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and maybe Pete Alonso, and that's it. 
he is in the 96th percentile in arm strength. So he's got a stronger arm than pretty much everybody in baseball. He's in the 93rd percentile in outs above average, which means that he is a better defensive outfielder than most guys in all of baseball. And he's in the 97th percentile in sprint speed. So he is faster than pretty much everybody else in baseball. That's way cooler. We talk about what O'Neill Cruz could be his 100th percentile outcome. Fuck it. I think O'Neill Cruz's 100th percentile outcome kind of looks like what Julio Rodriguez just did. <laughs> in his rookie year, in his rookie year, he did this. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez is just a taller Ronald Acuna Jr. in his prime. I Damn. Mean, the only reason Damn. I'm not Acuna's calling Acuna still in his prime. Let's yeah. But just with the knee injury, like I'm not taking anything away from Acuna. I still think Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the five, 10 best players in baseball. Every you want to rank him, I don't really give a shit. Is, but he's 24-year-old Ronald Acuna Jr. over the hill? My <laughs> over thoughts. Over the hill. Yeah, over the hill. <laughs> is he but cooked? no, but that's what I see like, because if you look at Ronald Acuna Jr.'s arm, it is a hose from right field. He has 40 home run power. He's got 30 stolen base speed. He's a great defender out there. The true five-tool players in our game. Like we, we throw around the five-tool grade like pretty, you know, like for example, even I fell into this. I'm like, Trey Turner is a five-tool player. Like, no, he ain't because he doesn't have the defense. He doesn't have the arm, but he's got 80 grades everywhere else almost. I mean, not even the power. Like I'm even doing this as I'm telling myself not to. Like J-Rod is the definition of a five-tool guy. Mike Trout in his prime. Like A-Rod in his prime. Ronald Acuna Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr. Except he doesn't even have the field tool. Like these guys are, they don't come around often. So appreciate what we're seeing from J-Rod. J-Rod was 284, 28 homers, 25 backs. Just getting started, dipping his toes in. He's a freak, man. And and that DePoto contract that, that DePoto handed him, uh, that could turn out to pay massive, massive dividends for Seattle. Word has come in from New York. I just got uh, the ticker tape. NL Rookie of the Year, Michael Harris. Betting favorite, Michael Harris. You want to talk about more outfielders? You want to talk about more like five tool guys? He's one. Well, okay. I'll I'll push back on the five. I, ju tool. I just did the same thing. I just told myself not to. I can't help myself. I'm hyperbolic. <laughs> I can't. I get so excited. <laughs> I'm going to push back on the five tool. But what I will say is Michael Harris quickly became, if not the best, then one of the best defensive center fielders in the game. There are a few guys that can cover the ground that Michael Harris does. On top of that, Harris did not look overmatched. He was a 2019 draft pick um, out of high school. This guy, he's what? He's the third high school guy to debut from that 2019 draft. It was Bobby Witt, um, C.J. Abrams, and Michael Harris. And Harris was a second-round guy. So what does he do in his maiden season? doesn't really walk much. Who gives a shit? He strikes out 24% of the time. Who gives a I shit? I want to talk about that, though, later after we... Because there's, like, there's some things that if he can improve upon, he will become unstoppable. And it's only, like, picking hairs here because he was amazing. And it's like, if we can find some things to potentially make him better, might as well do it. But let's shine our praise. But I want to talk about that later because there's something there. I'm in. Harris in 114 games at 4.8 F war. He had That's a 136 good. WRC+. plus. Michael Harris, traditional stats, 114 games slashed 297, 339, 514 with 19 homers, 75 runs, 64 driven in, and 20 bags. 
This Dude. guy was one of the best young outfielders in the National League. I feel bad for his teammate Spencer Strider because he was the best rookie pitcher by a country mile, and you could argue that he was a top 10 pitcher in baseball this year. He was. Like, when he pitched on a rate basis, he was, like, third. Yes. He was that good. But, Harris, there's something to be said about playing every day. The, yes. the Heisman Trophy is a quarterback's trophy. Um, these awards are position player awards unless proven otherwise to the umpteenth degree. Well, that just goes to show how good Strider was that he made it this close because Strider didn't play the whole season like Harris played a lot of the season. Um, but Michael Harris, again, the reason why I'm just hyperbolic again, throwing out the five tool grade is because there's nothing I think Michael Harris is bad at. Um, but the one thing that I want to talk about is the plate discipline, because that is something that he will have to improve on. But he's got a hose from center. He can get to any ball in any gap. He has crazy opposite field power. I go back to this all the time when I knew Rafael Devers was going to be a problem. I've said this on the podcast a trillion times. I'm going to say it a trillion more because it just burned a hole in my brain forever. When he went oppo taco against Roldis Chapman 101 at the top of the zone. I remember that like it was yesterday. I just thought to myself, oh, no, we just got another freaking Big poppy Manny Ramirez problem as a Yankee fan. I'm wearing my murderer's row hat for all those watching on YouTube. So defense is not a problem. He's got crazy pop from a 5'10 frame. Like just generates so much thump towards the ball. Um, He's got crazy speed. He's still 20 bases. Like that's why I say, yeah, he's kind of a five tool guy. But the one thing you could say is like the hit tool just because he strikes out a decent amount. He doesn't walk. But he's so fast, 292, like maybe he was a bit lucky, maybe, but I don't know. He just freaking raked. Started to get lucky over 114 games. That was one of the great things that I heard from the Cal interview is that like if a guy hits 310 over 162 games, like what was he was he lucky for eight months? Like Michael Harris has that bat to ball, and he's just yes. so freaky that he can get to so many pitches in and outside of the zone. But that is one thing that he needs to work on. Like, I would love to see that walk rate come up. Like, it doesn't have to be 11%, 12%. Just get it up to 8%. Like, take a few pitches, you know, because if he's swinging and missing, like, th there are big league pitchers who will figure something out that's wrong with his swing and really start to get him. Like, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I don't think we're going to see Michael Harris do exactly the same thing starting next year, like, with this kind of output offensively, because I think the pitchers will make adjustments and then it's up to him again to make adjustments. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit 800 home runs in his in that year, but then he struggled a little bit, but then in the second half, like, played much better. I see a very similar thing hap going to happen with Michael Harris. Like, don't sell your stock on Michael Harris when he's hitting 250 in the first couple of months of the season because he's going to hit 310 in the next couple of months because he's going to figure it out. He's a freak athlete, great player. God, I would love to have him on my, on my team. Yeah, his game is never going to speed up on him. The game is never going to speed up on Michael Harris's game, right? And that's the problem that a lot of rookies will run into in their sophomore season. It's called the sophomore slump for a reason. People have data on you. People have gathered tendencies on you, and they try to game plan around you. Pitchers will try and game plan uh, away from Michael Harris. But the good news for Michael Harris is he's won, he's in one of the best lineups in all of baseball. What are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, tunnel all of your energy on Michael Harris and say, oh, yeah, like we'll deal with Austin Riley and Matt Olson later? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. It's seventh. 
Yeah, like so unfair. Very well off of the National League Rookie of the Year, hit seventh next year, depending on what they do at shortstop. I wanted to pull up the voting. I found the voting. Michael Harris got 22 of 30 first place votes. Strider got the other eight. Harris got eight second place votes. Strider got 21 second place votes. That leaves one second place vote out in the ether. And it went to, drum roll please, Alexis Diaz of the Cincinnati Reds. Fire me up. Fire me up. Who right? did Didn't that? Go to I love that. I love that. <laughs> Didn't even go to Brendan Donovan, who got a 22 of the 33rd place votes. Jake McCarthy got some votes. Uh, Lodolo got two third place votes. And then O'Neill Cruz got two third place votes. Who as is well. that crazy man who gave it to Alexis Diaz? I love it. I love I, that energy. Although, but I want to shine on Brendan Donovan. I mean, what a utility player right. for the Cardinals. I mean, such a valuable player for that Cardinals team. But Alexis Diaz, Edwin Diaz's brother. Yes, he was nasty. He was nasty. So what what I'm most excited for with Brendan Donovan is there's a chance that the St. Louis Cardinals become stupidly loaded this offseason. And we've talked about that. They could go sign a major, major shortstop. So you fly around the infield and the outfield. You look in the outfield. What do they got? They're running out O'Neal. They're running out Carlson. They're running out Newt Barr. How about Burleson or Yepes or whoever the hell around the infield? You know, you've got Goldschmidt at first, Arenado at third, Edmund at second, and, and a major signing at short. And then you've got that crazy bullpen. Guess who we're leaving out of the fold right now? We're leaving Brendan Donovan out because he's going to be the best player that nobody talks about. Brendan Donovan was a 400 OBP guy this year. Do you know how valuable that is to have Brendan Donovan as a utility man? He was also up for the utility gold glove. Like, he is a zero mistake baseball player. And he is such a valuable piece for the St. Louis Cardinals moving forward. Totally agree. That's why the Cardinals don't necessarily need to sign a shortstop. I know they all want to, and they should, but they have Mason Wynn coming up. I know Cardinals fans don't want to hear this, but you can put Tommy Edmund at short, and then you can put Brendan Donovan at second. And like, that's fine. And then you could go get pitching. Oh my, did you see foolish baseball's tweet? No. Did you you see it about the Cardinals? It was the funniest thing i've ever seen the the starting pitcher prototype and then the reliever prototype pull that up real quick um to wrap up the national league rookie of the year conversation sarah langs the queen hope you're doing well um sarah tweeted michael harris and spencer strider are the eighth set of teammates to finish one and two in rookie of the year voting joining and then she lists them all out um only one since 1989 2011 Atlanta Braves. Craig Kimbrell won it. Freddie Freeman was the runner-up. So how about the Braves? Only team since 1989 in the Cubs, with Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith, to have teammates finish 1-2 in Rookie of the Year voting. They've done it twice. Pretty good precedent there, Craig Kimbrell and Freddie. Yeah, I wonder how works. Strider and Michael Harris are going to end Pitcher up. Pitcher and hitter. Harris, Strider, Kimbrell, Freeman. Boom. Just- Analogy heaven. That just goes to show how good Kimbrell was. Like, we're talking about how he it's a so starters. Good. He was so as a reliever. I mean, what a freak. All right. From Foolish Baseball, then we'll move on to MVP Cy Young Manager of the Year. Um, average Cardinal starter, 36-year-old lefty sinker baller named Paul Stewart, who throws 85 and was an all-star alternate in 2012. But the average Cardinals reliever, 25-year-old Dominican nicknamed Nino Del Infierno, who will throw exactly... 113 mile an hour fastball before his UCL snaps like a guitar string. I read that and 
burst out laughing because not only is it so true, but it speaks to the fact that the Cardinals could definitely use pitching over more infield help. Um, and they can use a catcher really too. I'm uh, I'm coming out with my uh, top 25 uh, off season Prediction. predictions. Um, I was inspired by Jim Bowden. Uh, he does good work over there for the athletic. And um, I wanted to write my own because I have some other and Cardinals fans. Spoiler. How about a little Blue Jays want to try to catch her? And maybe Moreno and the Cardinals, they need, or the Blue Jays, excuse me, they need a left-handed outfielder. Carlson, go check out that article. It should be live by the time you're listening to this. Holy shit, you grinded that thing out. How about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot Um, of good ones in there. A lot of crazy ones. Foolish. Uh, his name is Bailey. That that dude's creativity is just through the fucking roof. He is so, so fun. He's incredible. Um, yeah. All right. So that's recapping again. Michael Harris, the Atlanta Braves, won NL Rookie of the Year last night. Julio Rodriguez, like everybody expected, won American League Rookie of the Year um, with the Seattle Mariners. 21-year-old freak. Top 10 player in baseball at this point. So now what I want to do is move forward and get into the predictory phase of this podcast. And and we'll finish with MVP. Why don't we start with manager of the year? Let's start with AL manager of the year. The three candidates right now are Terry Francona, Tito with the Cleveland Guardians, Love. Brandon Hyde with the Orioles, Love. and Scott Service with the Seattle Mariners. Um, this is a loaded, loaded field. Let me make the elevator pitch for the three of them. Scott Service... He was kind of the head high. Well, he is the head of honcho. He's the manager of the team. He was the head of honcho behind a team that bottled up this magic that they found in 2021. This fun differential type team got a lot better. They were still young, but they were fiery. And they put together their first postseason appearance since 2000, 2001. Um, Brandon Hyde, what the hell was this Orioles team supposed to do this year? Nothing. They were supposed to finish at the very bottom of the AL East. They were supposed to be a couple years away from a possible window opening if the stars aligned. And they get career years from several guys. Who knew that Jorge Mateo was going to be the best defensive shortstop in the game? And who knew that Anthony Santander was going to take this step into stardom or Austin Hayes? And then Adley Rutschman, I think some could have said uh, that this was coming. But who knew to this degree? You cannot bank on that. And then Terry Francona, man, they had the youngest team in baseball. What do they do with Stephen Kwan and Miles Straw and Oscar Gonzalez in the outfield and a catcher hitting like a buck 60 in Austin Hedges and Luke Maley, who actually can't run as the backup catcher? I mean, <laughs> all three of these guys were miracle workers. I want to eliminate Scott Service because I think he was the least of the two miracle workers. Um, mm-hmm. What do you like here? See, it's funny. I was going to go the other direction. Um, and you said it yourself, the fun differential. A lot of people were predicting this team to what, finish third? I know my dumbass thought the Angels would finish second in, in the division because of the guy behind me. You see that painting from, shout out, at Kyle Taylor Portraits. Beautiful painting. Imagine Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on the same team. Yeah, we're probably going to be saying that next year too because it's amazing. So while, yes... He, he he I guess maybe he had the best team out of all of them, but I don't think going into the season a lot of people were just putting the Mariners in the playoffs. The fact that he he got over this enormous playoff drought, the largest in baseball, got his team to the playoffs. And then I know you can't factor in the playoffs into it, 
but like beat the Blue Jays. Yeah, I would give it to Scott Service. I would really because I think I think with Hyde, the Orioles exceeded a ton of expectations, but they finished fourth in the division. Right, that's the that's the bottom line. They finished fourth in the division, the toughest division in baseball. They were ahead of schedule, but a lot of guys just had breakout years. Like bringing up Adley Rutschman certainly helped. Like. I don't know if you give all this success to Hyde there. I think he did a great job and deserves to be here and was one of the top three, definitely. Tito, again, the Guardians were expected to be close to this, right? It was between the White Sox and the Guardians. So if you're going to say that about Scott Service and the Mariners, you got to say that about Tito and the Guardians. And then, in my opinion, I think the Mariners outdid preseason expectations. They beat the drought. And he has now been such a good manager year over year over year. Like, I I think he deserves it. I would give it to Scott Service of the Seattle Mariners. So I only push back on that because I, I think that we did think that Seattle could break the postseason drought in the preseason. We were talking about could. this team as, you know, a, a team that had enough talent to do it. Um Baltimore were Baltimore was knocking on the door for the entirety of the season. They were not expected to do that at all. That's why I side with Brandon Hyde. And and the way that I look at a manager of the year type award is who outperformed the expectations of the team the most drastically. And I'd say the Orioles were expected to be in the shitter and they ended up a couple games out of the American League wildcard. And that's why I go with Brandon Hyde. And that's the problem kind of with manager of the year. I mean, not problem, just it's kind of subjective in that way. It's like, no, it's, what's it's incredibly view? subjective. Exactly. And like, also shout out Tito. I mean, yeah, I mean, great. What a job. And it's it's just the way I think about it is, did you go over expectations? And then how successful was that team? So I believe that Scott Service outdid expectations with the Mariners and then made the playoffs. Tito did the same thing, but I almost felt like I was more confident in the Guardians moving into this year than I was the Mariners. And maybe this is also like, this is me personally giving the award. So I was higher on the Guardians than I was the Mariners. And I wasn't like super, super low on the Orioles. While I didn't think they'd finish third, I didn't think they were definitely going to finish fifth. I mean, I probably did say they were going to finish fifth, but they finished fourth. Like the Mariners, I didn't have making the playoffs. They won the playoffs and he outdid a drought. That's yeah. enough for me, considering how much I know how well he did with that team and all the different decisions that he made throughout the year. That's why I go with Scott Service. But like you're I don't think you're incorrect for Hyde. I think it's just whatever argument you want to make based on your conceived notion of what you think was your early season projections of a team and then what you think the manager was best at, right? Correct. Correct. So you pick Scott Service. I pick Brandon Hyde. Naturally tonight Terry Francona is going to win AL Manager of the Year. Exactly. Uh, NL Manager of the Year. Dave Roberts of the Dodgers, Buck Showalter of the Mets, and Brian Snitker of the Braves are the three finalists here. Uh, they were the three best teams in the National League. They were expected to be the three best teams in the National League, I think. I just go with Buck because he was the first-year guy. I don't know. Like, I don't have a strong opinion on this race at all. I kind of do. I kind of think, for me, it's obvious. I'm going with Snit. Brian Snicker, of course. They won the NL East. Compare payrolls of these three teams. Like the Mets were expected to be in here. 
I know Buck Showalter, like he did a great job in year one. I'm not taking anything away from Buck Showalter. Again, like I hate sometimes doing this because it feels like I'm taking away from some guy when I'm not. Buck Showalter was great. Dave Roberts, they won like 140 games, but they were all projected to do these things. The Braves were projected to finish second and finish first. They outperformed expectations. The Mets were expected to finish first, finish second. They, I guess, were a little bit lower than expectations. And remember, these are my expectations. They're different for everybody. If you think that the Braves definitely should have been number one at the beginning of the season over the Mets, maybe you do go buck. I thought the Mets should have been the prohibitive favorites. They were one of the betting favorites. And the Braves outperformed that. And, I mean, what a second half to keep your team engaged day over day over day. And they won like 90% of their games moving forward. Yeah. Not actually. So that's why I would go with Brian Sicker. I wouldn't give it to Dave Roberts. Even though, like, I mean, they won a hundred. They won a billion games. Yeah. They won a billion games, but I would definitely go with Brian Snicker here. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I do see Snit. Like, I think that is probably who the writers will vote for because of the second half resurgence. I mean, they were like far and away the best team in baseball since June one or, or whatever date you want to put it at uh, after a, a pretty rough start. And I think that's the mark of a great manager. I just think. You know, like first year major market, you know, Buck matched the expectations. I, I think that that could be with the writers side with. But but do you actually think that? Yeah, do you actually I think do. That? I think this is totally I feel a narrative. Like you don't and you're guessing. No. Well, yes, I'm guessing like this is a prediction. Episode. No, but like who you. Oh, wait, is this a prediction or who we think? This is who we think. Yeah, I think. Uh, so I guess I'm cheating. I guess <laughs> Snit is my manager of the year. I do think that the writers are going to vote for Buck Showalter uh, because it's a like Ben Verlander had Buck. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think he's got a vote. I don't think he's a writer. But Ben Verlander also had Brandon Hyde. You're right on par. Did he? That's awesome. Yeah, me and Ben <laughs> align align on a lot of things. Um, all right, <laughs> let's go to AL Cy Young here. Dylan Cease of the White Sox, Alec Manoa the Blue Jays, and Justin Verlander the Astros. The three finalists here. Great year, Alec Manoa. Great year, Dylan Cease. You're not Justin Verlander. Yeah, you didn't have a 175. Yeah. I mean, what? That's why, like, this, we talked about pre-recorded. Like, this episode's going to be kind of short. There's a couple of arguments in here, but it's Justin freaking Verlander, who was unreal. He had a little bit of an injury. Didn't matter. Came back almost through, what, a no-hitter? It's Justin yeah. Verlander. So Verlander had a 175 ERA in 175 innings. Cease had a 2-2-0 ERA in 184 innings. So he only threw one more game than Verlander. He only threw nine more innings than Justin Verlander, and his ERA was still 45 points higher here. Something that stands out about Verlander, dude was 18-4. and four. Like wins and losses, those matter to the writers, I know that. I don't care about wins and losses really, unless you're something Kinda like cool. 18 and four, unless you're a, unless you're a Justin Verlander or a 20 game winner. The other number that really jumps out here, and this is why I knocked Dylan Cease as a, as a native Chicagoan and somebody who grew up a white Sox fan. Cease had a one, one, one whip because he struck out 227 guys in 184 innings. He walked 78 dudes. Most walks in the American League. Justin Verlander punched out 185 guys. He walked 29. 
he had a 0.83 whip. So he led the American League in hits per nine, and he's up against the guy that led the American League in walks issued. So I think it's no question. Verlander was pounding the strike zone. When he was healthy, he was on the hill. He was going six or seven innings, and he was literally unhittable. It was like six hits per nine. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, Alec Manoa also threw 196 innings, but if we're looking at F4, Justin Verlander was third in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Um, Dylan Cease was 11th and Alec Manoa was 15th. Like, yeah, Alec Manoa threw 20 more innings, but Alec Manoa had a 2-2-4 ERA. And, like, I do look at peripherals in these. Like, sue me. I do. I want to look at your quality of contact. You're ridiculous. I want to look at your FIP. I want to look at your ex-FIP. I use that a little bit into the equation. It's not everything. I know it's an ERA award because it's about what you did. It's not, we're not using the advanced stats to project future value or not. If this is something that will continue, but I do still look at it and like Verlander's peripherals, 266 XERA, 249 FIP, 323 XFIP. Dylan Cease, he was right around that little bit worse, worse ERA, handful more innings. Like Verlander was so good. It's Verlander. Yes, it's Verlander. Um, all right. I want to walk us through an exercise with the NL Cy Young because the three um, the three finalists are Sandy Alcantara with the Marlins, Julio Rios with the Dodgers, and Max Fried with the Braves. And there is precedent to this type of conversation. You and I have the same answer. I think this is very cut and dry. But for people that may be saying, oh, well, like, you know, Urias had had a you know better ERA. Okay, yay. Um, there are two examples of recent precedent for this. Let's start in 2018. Blake Snell won the Cy Young over Justin Verlander. Blake Snell threw 180 and two thirds innings in 2018. Verlander threw 214 innings. Snell had a 1.89 ERA. Verlander had a 2.52. That's a massive, massive difference. How about last year in the National League? Zach Wheeler, 213 and a third innings. He had a 278 ERA. Corbin Burns, 167 innings, had a 243 ERA. So a tighter difference, but you talk about the numbers with Burns, and they were just eons better. I mean, this guy had a 163 FIP fielding in the pitching last year. Look at you. I know. You. Wheeler had a 259 FIP. Burns was not far off in strikeouts. He was better in terms of walks per nine and Ks per nine. He had a better whip. He was better in every category. But when you look at Sandy and Julio, Julio Arias, a 2.16 ERA in 175 innings. He had a 3.71 FIP. Sandy Alcantara in 228 and two-thirds innings. That's 53 and two-thirds more innings. Had a 2.28, so only 12 points higher. Through six complete games, he had a FIP that was pretty much an entire run lower, and they had identical whips. The numbers are not in Julio's favor to the point where he should be getting a first-place vote. I feel strongly that Sandy Alcantara should be the NL Cy Young by a unanimous vote. Couldn't agree more. I'll shorten it for our listeners. Um, Sandy had almost double the F4. Sandy was eons better and win probability added. Sandy has a 2280 RA versus 216. D 
Do you think that Sandy's ERA would have been lower if he was on the Dodgers and they only needed his best five instead of the Marlins, his best eight? Yes. Yes. Like, you can run me through the rate stats all all day. They weren't pitching on the same basis. Like, <laughs> Sandy had to go eight and nine because they had Cole Sulcer in the ninth. Six complete games this year. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't happen anymore. It's not even close. I love Julio. On a rate basis, sure, you can make somewhat of an argument, but even with Sandy didn't want to strike out guys because he wanted to throw 120 pitches. Julio didn't care. Strike as many guys as he want. Yeah. Tell me if Sandy only had to throw five for the Dodgers and he could boil it up to one on one. Might have seen DeGrom it, numbers. Sandy might be striking out 20 dudes per nine. If that's the case. Wouldn't be shocked. That <laughs> is it's his job. Like that's that's why I thought the Cal interview was so interesting. If you guys haven't heard it yet, like it's your job to do some of these things. Like the numbers are not as cut and dry as we think. They all have context to them. Sandy's job was to get the ground ball out so we could get to the next inning. Julio's was just get outs any way you can. Like yeah. give us your best five innings. That was not Sandy's job. RBIs is a stat that nobody likes anymore. And I agree, you can't use it to compare players. But some guys' job is drive-in runs. So, like, when guys put up 100 RBIs every year, I find it impressive. You are doing your job effectively. I like that. Screw you if you don't think RBIs are cool. I still think wins and losses are cool. Do they matter for comparing players? No. Do I still think seeing Kyle Wright win 20 games is cool? Yes. Sue me. I like it. So Julio, Julio Rios went seven innings four times. He did not pitch into the eighth once this year. There you go. End the amount of, of times that Sandy Alcantara... How about that? Julio Rios threw seven innings four times. Sandy Alcantara threw six complete games. End of discussion. End of discussion. There you go. NL MVP. Do you want to do NL MVP or AL MVP first? We'll do NL MVP first. NL MVP. Manny Machado of the Padres and the two Cardinals, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, are the the three finalists as it stands right now. That is announced on Thursday. When you look at F4, it's Aaron Judge, and then it's Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. 7.4, 7.3, 7.1. Unbelievable. It's, it's wild. When you look at WRC+, it's Judge, Alvarez, Goldschmidt at 177, but you look at the two elite defensive third basemen, Manny Machado had a 152 WRC plus. Nolan Arenado had a 151 WRC plus. This is as neck as neck as you could possibly find it. Paul Goldschmidt was the best offensive performer out of these three guys. If it was a hitting award, Paul Goldschmidt is the MVP. But the most valuable player is not the most valuable hitter. And my thought is Paul Goldschmidt played first base. You've got the other two playing an elite third base. That's where you need big time defense. That's where you bet that's where you get the war accumulators. I think what Manny Machado did for the San Diego Padres, especially without Fernando Tatis Jr., I talk about it a lot with the NBA. When Kevin Durant and Steph Curry were on the same team, it was going to be really hard for one of them to win an MVP award because you've got teammate dilution. That's what I feel like happened with the NL MVP this year. I think that Arenado and Goldschmidt, they almost knocked down 
their importance, their individual impact to the team because they run in step and they are a tandem guiding the Cardinals to the postseason. Manny Machado guided a team that had Juan Soto for two months, Fernando Tatis Jr. for zero games. Who were the other consistent good performers in the Padres lineup? I thought Machado, there were points where he single-handedly brought the Padres to wins. You could make the argument that Machado had more to do with his team making the postseason than any other player in baseball except for Aaron Judge. That's why I think Manny Machado is the NL MVP. Couldn't agree more. And it's quantified in the numbers. Manny Machado has a higher wins above replacement than Paul Goldschmidt did. It's minuscule, but it's there. He gets a bump for playing third base over first base, but he deserves the bump. This isn't random. He deserves the bump because it's a harder position to play than first base. Now, did Paul Goldschmidt help save Nolan Arenado on some throws? Yeah. Saw with my own two eyes. Yes, he did. He was phenomenal over there. Didn't win the gold glove, or did he? No, Christian Walker won the gold glove. Yeah. Because Walker. Christian Walker was unbelievable, but I'm not taking that away from Goldschmidt. I think it's so, so close that what you have to do is you have to look at the word valuable, and you Correct. said it best. Correct. You lose Fernando Tatis Jr., you get a half season of Juan Soto who didn't look like the Juan Soto in Washington. Not only did the Padres make the playoffs, and I'm not giving Machado the bump because of how well they did in the playoffs, but the fact that they got there, the Cardinals got there too, but they were also by the numbers. I would give it to Manny Machado as well. Like the hitting is so close. I mean, I know Goldschmidt has the WRC plus advantage, 177 to 152, but 152 is nothing to laugh at. Manny Machado also had 30 bombs, also had 102 RBIs. He had more stolen bases. He walked plenty. He struck out less than Goldschmidt. Hit almost 300. Also slugged 531. I mean, it's so close. So defense a little bit. The valuable aspect, the narrative aspect, put me right over the top. If you say it's Goldschmidt, okay. I don't think I have anything wrong with that. I'm not saying you're wrong. If you say it's Arenado, I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with that either. It's as close as it gets. Give me the narrative. As the as the breaking, as the tiebreaker, yeah, I'm going with Manny Machado. Can we just shout out Nolan Arenado? The dude just un he finished above Goldschmidt in War. He Arenado just put together the best season of his career. I love that. I, this was a guy that was playing at, at Coors Field, and, and here we are saying, can he survive outside of Coors Field? The answer is a resounding yes. Nolan Arenado is a Hall of Famer. Almost um, better. He's. <laughs> insane man i mean this guy he had an 11 percent k rate this year i don't think people realize that nolan arenado does not strike out he might be the most enjoyable watch in all of baseball but manny machado is right there with him like jeff mcneil struck out 10.4 percent of the time nolan arenado struck out 11.6 percent of the time alex bregman 11.7 these guys don't strike out and arenado was with them what what like what's the narrative around Jeff McNeil? Oh, he's pesky. He doesn't go down. Like he doesn't strike out. What's the narrative about Arenado? Oh, he's a masher. Yeah, mashers are supposed to strike out twenty five percent of the time, and yet he doesn't. Like Stephen Kwan struck out nine point four percent of the time. Yeah, the the fact that Nolan Arenado is two percent off Stephen Kwan is ludicrous. Ludicrous doesn't seem real. Real quick, uh, before we get to AL MVP. 
you you just uh, posted a video about this. Um, <laughs> Yasiel Puig pled guilty to lying to the FBI about placing bets in an illegal gambling operation. How about this? Yasiel Puig from July 4th till the end of September in 2019 placed 899 bets on football, basketball, and tennis. I didn't, I didn't tab Puig to be a tennis guy, but you know what? Like you're riding Stan Vavranka's heater. I feel you, man. Like it, it, Puig is all in on the Cincinnati open. Cool. <laughs> Five years in gambling. prison. It's not gambling. Never advice, gambling Puig. advice. Except for Yasiel Puig. The funniest comment I posted to TikTok about it. Shout out. I, I don't have the username in front of me, but Puig is the, is this gambling advice guy in my comment section? And I just burst out laughing. You were talking about that. Like Puig, whatever. I mean, you got to gamble, I guess. I mean, at least it wasn't on baseball. Beginning of July to the end of September, July, August, September, three months, 899 bets placed. That's Can you imagine that? That's 300 bets a month divided by four. It's about 80 bets a week. Can you believe that? I don't even do that. No, who like who does? Not you many people. Me. No, that's an inc- that. I have no words for that. At least it's not baseball, I guess. I guess. But he's not even in Major League Baseball. He's been playing in Japan or Korea. Uh, KBO, yeah. He was KBO, in KBO, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just needed to get that out there. Okay. Last thing, AL MVP. Um, here's my opinion on AL MVP because it's, it's Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, Jordan Alvarez. They're the three finalists. Um, my opinion is Andy McCullough's opinion in The Athletic. And he wrote this. On September 21st, let me tell you a little secret just between us. Aaron Judge is going to win the American League MVP award. This was true before Tuesday evening when Judge became the sixth man in the history of baseball to hit 60 home runs in a season. This will be true no matter what Shohei Otani, the singular two-way star of the Angels, does during the season's final two weeks. As Joan Didion wrote, we tell ourselves stories in order to live, and Judge has been baseball's central figure in 2022. This is not to slight Otani. He is peerless in the most literal sense. He can chase only himself. Judge is chasing something more tangible, less enigmatic, more memorable. Judge is chasing history, and his ascendance in the record books will hold sway when the ballots are cast. That is exactly how I think about the American League MVP race. Judge was a record breaker. Otani, like Andy McCullough said, is chasing only himself. I think that it's a lot easier to tab someone as heroic when they break someone else's record versus when they they try and push their own individual boundaries. Agreed. I mean, this is kind of similar, not really, but I think the the comparison makes a little bit of sense. Steph Curry, when he won that unanimous MVP, yeah, set the record for three-pointers. Now, was LeBron James probably a better player? It's not similar because different sports and you got Otani pitching and hitting. and No, but it is. LeBron like, chases himself. Yes. Exactly. Like it's, it's just a – if you are giving Otani the MVP this year, I get it because – in my opinion, that is the most valuable player. That was. 
that is more valuable. Or He's pitching and hitting. And you can't say I'm biased. I know I'm wearing a Yankee hat, but I got Otani right behind me. I love both of these two players to death. I am still amazed. I turn on every Otani star. I love watching this man play. It is history in the making. But if you don't give Judge the MVP this year, what you are setting a precedent for is whenever Otani does this, he is automatically the MVP. Aaron Judge had an historic season, and calling it historic almost doesn't do it justice. What Aaron Judge did this season is not touched if the steroid era doesn't happen. Like, that is also something. Like, all of these gouty home run numbers, they were all touched by Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. The reason why you see Roger Maris Jr. talking about on Twitter, talking about how Aaron Judge, that's the real home run record, is because if you take out a lot of the guys who were accused of taking steroids, Aaron Judge had the best season ever, or at least one of them. If you're not going to give it to Judge then, then you're never going to give it to any player ever as long as Otani does what he does. So you you make the decision. If you give it Otani now, you're giving it to Otani always. At what point can someone be better than Otani? Snaps. Um I didn't think I was going to find myself a LeBron James's basketball reference page, but but here I am. Uh, from 2004 through 2020, LeBron could have won every single NBA MVP award. It yeah. would have been the LeBron James award. Like, but but Michael Jordan he, too. His standard is so much fucking higher. Like that's why Giannis has not won the MVP in a couple of years. That's why Jokic isn't going to win the MVP again this year. Jokic has already won it twice. Like. What's Jokic going to do? Chase himself here? Like, you, you exactly. got to spice it up. That's what writers yeah. do. They got to spice it up. They got to change things up. Um, and, and there is no better excuse to make a guy a most valuable player than if he broke Roger Maris's American League record. I do think Aaron Judge is the MVP for the narrative. I do hear what you're saying and respect the hell out of what you're saying because I agree with it. Like, what else does Otani have to do? I just don't think that he's going to constantly win this award if there are record breakers. And and I actually said this, I want to say in August, your friend and mine, Ben Stevens, on the morning after on SportsGrid, um, he asked me, what does Aaron Judge need to do to w- win the MVP over Shohei Otani? I think in like early August. And I said, the Yankees need to win the American League East and Aaron Judge needs to break Roger Maris's home run record. You need to be a legitimate record breaker on a good team to take down Shohei Otani. You need to average a triple-double if you're Russell Westbrook to win the MVP over LeBron James. You need to have an all-time scoring title season like Kevin Durant to take the MVP from LeBron James. You need to set the record for threes made in a season to take the MVP from LeBron James. You got to do something that is historically significant to beat Shohei Otani at his own game. That's exactly what Judge just did. And Otani stands, and I'm one of them. I love Otani, but be okay with that fact. Be okay that the only way to beat him in the MVP race is to do something historic, just like Otani does every year. 
the only way to take the MVP out of the man behind me's hand is to break all-time records. That's what Judge did. We aren't even talking about the Angels' record versus the Yankees. Not We didn't mention that once. Jack said he got to win the the AL East, but I'm sure if, if the Yankees finished second in the division and he beat Roger Maris's home run record, our opinion would be the exact same. Yeah, I do. T- in, this, in this argument, we have taken that out completely. But you and I both know, Otani Stan, that that matters. But even if we don't think it matters, 62 home runs, 207 WRC+. 11.4 F war. That's what you have to do to beat Otani. And he did it and he deserves it. When you have human voters for something, you got to have the team narrative on your side for an individual award. And you're going to, um, whether you like it or not. Again, I'll, I'll bring up the Derek Henry Heisman trophy thing. Like Derek Henry won the Heisman trophy over Christian McCaffrey. Um, even though Christian McCaffrey broke the record for all-purpose yards in a season. He broke Barry Sanders' record. He literally had the best year by yardage in college football history, and he didn't win the Heisman Trophy because while Derrick Henry was playing in the national championship game, Christian McCaffrey was opting out of the Sun Bowl presented by Tony the Tiger. So, that I mean, like, that's what you got to deal with. You got to be so fucking good, and your team has to be good, and that's how you win a writer-voted award. And that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Black Friday code coming out. Be Ooh. sure to get your Just Baseball merch. I'm wearing my JB sweater. I'm also wearing my Murderer's Rose hat. And we got Shoei Otani behind me. And we got Mookie Betts over there. Who I was got third in it? Who was third in AL MVP again? <laughs> uh, uh, Jordan Alvarez. Great. Year. Oh, yeah. He was Great also year. insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, crazy. Uh, I've got Kyle Taylor working on a, a Mark Burley piece for me. I sent you that Fire. photo. It looks Fire. great. So Amazing. Yeah, he uh he said he was gonna get to that after your uh after your Mookie got finished. Um, so I'm I'm hoping to get that in the next couple of weeks, I think. Best way to help out the podcast, check out the links in the episode description. Help us out, get yourself some just baseball merch, rate this podcast five stars if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Best way to support us if you don't want to spend a dime, we understand. As long as you can give us some love on there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, write a review. Let us know what you're enjoying about the pod so far. We're gonna keep you engaged through the the rest of the MLB offseason predictions free agents ton of stuff on justbaseball.com and with that thank you everybody